Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. Decisive Point welcomes retired Air Force Colonel Michael J. Zedek, who edited Len Hawley's draft posthumously to prepare it for publication with parameters. The piece, which is titled Crisis Management Lessons from the Clinton Administration's Implementation of Presidential Decision Directive 56, was featured in Parameter's Autumn 2021 issue. After serving as a strategic planner for the UN mission in Kosovo, Zizek co-edited Quest for Viable Peace with Leonard Hawley and Jacques Covey. A retired Army colonel, Leonard R. Hawley served the Clinton administration as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, the Director of Multilateral Affairs on the National Security Council, and the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Multilateral Peacekeeping and Humanitarian Relief Operations. Welcome. Mike, thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's talk about crisis management. Crisis management covers a lot of ground. And Leonard R. Hawley was an influencer in this field in the 1990s. In fact, he was the point person for implementing Presidential Decision Directive 56, Managing Complex Contingency Operations. Can you tell us, please, how and why is Hawley's work still significant today? Well, good morning, Stephanie, and thank you so much, first of all, for Parameters uh, publishing Lynn's article and uh, then for taking the extra step here to prepare this podcast. If you'd permit me, I'd, I'd like to begin by briefly paying tribute to Lynn. Since his article was published posthumously and he's not a household name, perhaps the most important attribute that I should note is that as a retired Army colonel, he epitomized the virtues of dedication to country and service above self. And after he retired, he served the Clinton administration in three different capacities, in DOD, the NSC, and the State Department. In the Pentagon, he was the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Multilateral Peacekeeping. And that's where he helped to draft PDD-56 on managing complex contingency operations, as you mentioned. Next, he served as the Director for Multilateral Affairs on the National Security Council, and there he oversaw the preparation and drafting of 44 political military plans. That's kind of an outdated term. Uh, we now talk about defense diplomacy and, and development, but he meant all the instruments of policy, even though the term political military only would seem to identify two. And finally, he was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for the UN and peacekeeping in the Bureau of International Organizations. And there he guided the implementation of peace processes in Sierra Leone, Kosovo, and East Timor. And if you think about the outcome of those three particular peace processes, they all have not and will not return to conflict. And that's a pretty rare accomplishment. Uh, those who know Kofi Annan, the former Secretary General of the UN, in 2005, he made a statement that 50% of UN peace missions return to conflict within five years. So his track record is pretty significant. And so I would think it's fair to say that his insights and recommendations that he encapsulated in his article, they're the essential ingredients for a successful strategic plan. And that's a really a priceless commodity. I would note that since his insights are drawn from having served in DOD, the NSC, and state, he has an intimate understanding of how the interagency works, which is the essence of what PDD-56 is all about, interagency planning. In the article, Michelle Flournoy, who had been the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Strategy during the Clinton administration when Len served, and then subsequently she was the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy under Obama, she wrote in her prologue to his article, uh, really an eloquent tribute 
this is what she had to say. It is full of the insights, as she's talking about his article, it is full of the insights and wisdom of an unsung hero who was an extraordinary public servant, strategic thinker, and beloved mentor and colleague to many. And when I read that, particularly, it brought a tear to my eye. And it's kind of the way I think we all feel when the flag is lowered at retreat. So thanks for indulging me and uh, and mention Len's background. But after he retired from the Army, Len dedicated his life to understanding the strategic planning process and identifying defects and recurrent shortcomings and obstacles in the process, honing effective solutions and endeavoring to institutionalize them. So that provides, I think, the context for your question, which is the pivotal one. Why is his work relevant? I would answer that by providing an anecdote from last week when I was at my own 50th reunion from the Air Force Academy. While I was there, I spoke to the core class on international security studies since I'd been tenured in the political science department. And the lesson just happened to be about military strategy. So the first point I made was that while the Defense Department is preeminent, at military strategy, none of our national security threats can be dealt with effectively unless all the relevant instruments of policy are integrated effectively. That's to say, an interagency or integrated whole-of-government process is required. That's precisely what PDD-56 sought to do, and, and the lessons from Len's experience with overseeing the development of 44 pulmonary plans are captured in his article. So Len's article is relevant because interagency planning is a sine qua non for effective pursuit of our vital national security interests. And Len actually captured it pretty well in his article. that It addresses crisis management, and he defines strategic planning, actually, as in, quote, to prevent a crisis, wage war, protect human life, or implement peace. And that's a pretty comprehensive list of our core national security interests. The primary focus of Holly's article is the evolution and science of successful crisis management. What were his thoughts on this? Len spoke about the evolution of the art and science of crisis management. By art, he meant the development of institutional mechanisms to manage a profoundly important tension in the policy process. And this is a real insight. I uh, had never heard anyone explain this. So this tension is an important concept, if you will, for those of us who care about strategic planning to understand. It's the tension between the desire of policymakers for flexibility to preserve their options for as long as possible. And I think we can relate to that. But that's in tension with the need of agencies for clear guidance so they can plan for what they will be required to do in implementing an intervention strategy. So that's the tension, and that's what he means by art. By science, he meant the evolution of new concepts so that all the agencies of government were speaking the the same language. So first of all, the art of strategic planning, the key point is in managing that tension I mentioned between the present desire for keeping his or her options open and the need for the agencies that have to implement the plan to get guidance so that they can begin preparing their own uh, ability to respond. The tool that he developed to, to manage that tension was called the Advanced Political Military Planning Process. And this process, this is what he means by art, but this provides six critical planning outcomes. First of all, and this will sound familiar, but it 
not always been done. The first step, identification of U.S. policy aims and interests. Clarification of the major mission areas, that's a term that they actually developed for the science portion. Development of a strategy, and as a part of the strategy, then mobilization of coalitions of allies, other partners, international organizations, so that the necessary capabilities and authorities were available. And I should expand on this point because that's one of Len's fundamental concepts and points. The complex contingency operations, which is what PDD-56 is about, are fundamentally multinational and multilateral. So they require different coalitions to get the job done. In Kosovo, for example, there were eight coalitions. The contact group, which is a political coalition. NATO, which provided the military means. The UN High Commissioner for Refugees, which dealt with the humanitarian relief. The UN Department of Peacekeeping Operations, which actually within UNMIC, the UN mission, dealt with rule of law. It deals with other things in other missions, but that was their capability that was critically important. The Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe that provided for democratization, managing the elections and institution building. European Union, Reconstruction and Development, and the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia for war crimes and human rights. And the G8 provided donor funding. Those don't happen automatically. Each intervention is essentially a pickup game, he says. And so you got to mobilize a group of nations that has sufficient national security interests at stake to mobilize the capabilities and authorities that are required. And the final two elements of the um, advanced political military planning process are clarification of unintended consequences. So there are ways of, of dealing that. The advanced Paul Mill plan is one of the steps that can help to avoid negative policy outcome. And finally, conceptualization of a transition or a plan to a follow-on mission. This is the key point I need to make about this document. It cannot be found anywhere on the web. And I have a footnote in the article to my email address, but anyone listening to this who would like to have that document, you can email me at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, DZ Delta Zulu 71 at gmail.com. That's Michael DZ 71 at gmail.com. So that's the art for the science of palm mill planning. The challenge that Land encountered was that each agency used its own planning lexicon. So the Clinton administration, you know, led obviously by Land, developed new terms such as transformation strategy, the term major mission areas, and instruments of government action, among others that they used in their organized their thinking. One of the outcomes of all of their efforts was that the joint staff. Uh, now requires that all military operational level plans have an Annex 5 for interagency coordination, where they identify the critical civilian agency efforts that are necessary for military operations. And the State Department established an Office of Contingency Planning and Peacekeeping in the Bureau of Political Military Affairs to support LEN's efforts and NSC's interagency planning activities. So those are the key strategic planning innovations that Lynn identified in his discussion of the art and science of strategic planning. What about moving forward? What are some of the best practices for interagency planning and coalition operations? Well, Lynn identified a range of issues that repeatedly confound the strategic planning 
process. And then he identified best practices to minimize these issues. And a quick overview, these include things like the propensity for agencies to pursue their own narrow parochial interests uh, instead of the national interests, what Graham Allison, in essence of decision, talked about as bureaucratic politics. So this is a phenomenon that has been recognized uh, for decades, but Len has crafted ideas for how to cope with this. The second issue, which is the reticence to share information, since we all know knowledge is power, and the related inclination to distrust intelligence assessments that conflict with policymakers' preferred outcomes or preferred policies. Another area that he, he grappled with when he was in the NSC was a lack of expertise by senior government officials in strategic planning. And he uses the term collaborative leadership, but to have a collaborative approach which is so essential for interagency planning. The predisposition to protect agency turf and resources. Most people will be familiar with the axiom that where you stand, that is to say on an issue, depends on where you sit, that is in the bureaucracy. So each assistant secretary is prone to interpret the stakes involved in terms of their own agency's interests. And to address this challenge, the NSC director for strategic planning, which was what Len was, he proposes that person, that individual in the NSC, should be empowered with authority to direct policy and planning efforts across the U.S. government. Why? Because the NSC is really the champion for an overarching U.S. policy perspective, not for any particular narrow agency interest. Len's term for this is called the NSC-centric model. It was really embedded in PDD 56. The NSC played a decisive role as an advocate for U.S. policy aims, and it had the clout necessary to bring closure to disputes over narrow agency interests. So that's why, and every president uses a different term. Under Clinton, they were presidential decision directives. Under President Biden, they're called national security memoranda, but that is needed to endow the National Security Council with the authority to, if you will, knock heads together and resolve disputes among the different uh, agencies of government. And the next chronic problem is reluctance to share information or to trust intelligence assessments that are con contrary to a given agency or perhaps policymaker, president's uh, preferred course of action. Len recommends that the administration direct the National Intelligence Council to provide early warning assessments, comprehensive situation assessments, political forecasts, and personality assessments of potential spoilers, which is a particular focus of my own work. And to encourage the sharing of information, he discusses that there's no need to divulge what your sensitive sources and methods are, but it's really critical to share your agency's unbiased assessments of the situation. And the way to do this is to have the NSC chair, the director for strategic planning, see consensus among the different agencies involved about how they want to go about sharing sensitive information and how it will be protected and the practices needed to achieve this. In other words, address the issue and come up with an agreed approach. And Len suggests that the way to facilitate this is to have informal dialogue among agency officials as opposed to just the formal meeting or in addition to formal meetings. And he notes that it's that process is facilitated when agencies 
assign their personnel to cross assignments so that those individuals can develop habitual relationships that will facilitate the interagency planning process. Uh, In other words, basically talking over a cup of coffee is one way to facilitate the information sharing. So those are some pretty practical insights to deal with this problem based on his years of experience. One of the chronic issues is the need to enhance the competence of senior officials in strategic planning And he found that most uh, rising civilian and military officials lack expertise in integrated policy planning and collaborative leadership. As I mentioned, cross-agency assignments are actually often scorned as diversion from mainstream career paths. They're not regarded as career enhancing. Len recommends an interagency training and exercise program in crisis management to develop this expertise. Who would like to see employees at the deputy assistant secretary or major general level or higher? In other words, the top decision makers and policy makers be required to attend a one-week professional development course that would address the administration's interagency planning process. In other words, you need to have a PDD 56, and that process would be taught to these senior decision makers. And also provide the talents and skills so that they understand how to effectively engage in collaborative leadership. And the final recommendation is to institutionalize proven processes that he actually battle-tested in PDD-56 to manage the overwhelming complexity of crisis situations. And so I'm just going to describe several of these processes that are, I think, very important to be aware of and and actually uh, then incorporate into the next national security memorandum. One of these is the advanced political military planning process, which I already mentioned, and that document I can provide to anyone who uh, would like to have it. Another critically important process is to identify operational issues for emerging political military implementation plans. So identify upfront in your deliberations, identify these issues by conducting a one-day, what he calls red, blue, gray strategy game involving participants at the level I just mentioned, deputy assistant secretary, major general from the relevant departments and agencies. That should be hosted by the OSD uh, Undersecretary for Policy. And the game would identify likely counter moves by bad actors. And to highlight the surprising events and outcomes that could unfold through time. And then, this is distinct, but prior to executing a political military plan, this is a best practice that actually happened before PDD-56 was drafted. Dick Clark, in organizing Haiti, did a rehearsal. And this is a really superb way to review the plan's main elements. Every assistant secretary, you know, responsible for the agency's role in in the political military plan should present to the deputies or the principals committee what their actions are in their major mission area and to help resolve any unresolved policy issues that are still remaining to be dealt with and to address the adequacy of the resources that they need for implementing their their major mission area. And finally, a lessons learned review should be conducted at the end of each major stage of the campaign plan. The lessons that are learned should be incorporated in the generic political military implementation plan 
which is a document that isn't available on the web, but the generic political military implementation plan, which Len continued to update really until he died, provides a detailed recipe for preparing a political military plan. In other words, a cookbook. It's about 35 pages long, and it identifies the topics that policymakers, strategic planners, should think about. To obtain that, again, it's Michael DZ 71 at gmail.com. And I would just close by saying that the salient lesson for the current and all future administrations is that the NSC-centric approach that Len talks about that was enshrined in PDD 56 might not always guarantee success, but an agency-centric approach, which was used by the Bush administration, uh, Rumsfeld, for example, did not permit the State Department to even have any involvement in the planning for Iraq, which is the way the interventions in Afghanistan and Iraq were planned. But that's a prescription for failure. So thanks again, Stephanie, for the opportunity to uh, distill the essence of Len's article and the key points in this podcast. What a treat to talk to you, Mike. Holly clearly made significant impacts in our country. And it's just really a treat to be able to acknowledge that here with you. So Mm. thank you for that. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, look for us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other major podcast platform.